my six-year-old is, is what got to be one of those spoiled toddlers on earth for like <laughs> flight products and stuff. And she, she kind of is getting it now. And yeah, we were at the zoo after taking a recent international trip and there's like a line to like pet a reptile or whatever. And she like tugs on my sleeve, looks at me, goes, daddy, do we have status? Can we skip the line? <laughs> like, oh, wow. We should fly economy just, more often. Just global entry uh, apply at yeah. the zoo. That's How awesome. global is global entry? <laughs> Welcome to Take Off, a podcast by 10X Travel. I'm your host, Bryce Conway. And today on the show, we've got the full house, Emily, Matt, and Travis. And we're planning to deep dive into our completely unplanned back-to-back-to-back-to-back European vacations booked for this past summer with Points and Miles. You know, we, we looked at our team calendar one day in the spring, and we realized Matt was about to go on a trip to Europe. And that started what was pretty much like a, almost a two-and-a-half-month period in which one of us was in Europe at all times perfectly lined up, like not, without planning just dates where someone's coming home and someone's leaving the very next day, everyone going to Europe, having a good time, thanks to Points and Miles. So we think this is a great time to talk through this. We're going we're gonna to talk about each of our trips, how we did it, how we booked it. You know, we spent the first six episodes teaching you some of the basics of the Points and Miles hobby. And now we think you're ready for some examples of trips that are real world, things we just took ourselves. We're here to show you how this hobby really does work and that Points and Miles have value and lots of it, as you're going to see today. So let's get to it. Starting with a quick, how are you doing? Great. Wishing I was back in Europe currently as we start to dive into all this. That's for sure. That's a good point. Everyone here is going to sound like nice and relaxed, like in the post-vacation like glow of like, yeah, I feel nice and balanced. This is good. So this episode does really well. That means we all have to just go to Europe every like two weeks. Oh, that means cool episode eight is being recorded in Europe. Yep. <laughs> Done. <laughs> you, you heard it from Bryce himself. I was, I was low-key just slightly disappointed that mainly me, but on behalf of all of you too, didn't get a chance to record one of these in Europe with like some sick backdrop, you know, that makes it out into the socials. And it's like, oh, that, no, that's not a Zoom background. I'm, I'm actually in Italy right now. Yeah, overlooking so, your, your villa pool. <laughs> yes, one, one of them. Yes. Yeah, I'm not so sure that I had the, the best backdrops. <laughs> underwater. Yeah, well, <laughs> underwater, on the plane for sure. Let's get right to it. So starting out, where did everyone go this spring and summer? And when did you go? We'll start here with Matt on the first one. Uh, starting late April into about middle of May or so, early May, we went to the Netherlands and Belgium. I think we were there for about 10, 12 days. Nice. And then, Just, then like without a break, I went to Scotland. <laughs> we passed each other over the North Atlantic, if I recall. Probably. Yep. Nice. Emily, how about you? I think maybe two days before Matt came home, I was heading to Lisbon. And I spent a few days in Lisbon and then a couple days tacked on in Paris at the end and then came came home. I think it was like a 10-day trip. It was definitely And spoiler refreshing. alert, you got to fly up front. Don't I remember you telling yeah. us that? Yeah, First I know. Time. I feel like after we've recorded all these episodes where I talk about being an economy flyer, I really have to uh, take back everything I've ever said. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, Don't worry. Yeah. It's really easy to just take that down from the internet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We'll no just problem. scrub out everything I say on all the previous episodes. <laughs> your your next step is uh, is getting to shower on an airplane. Yeah. You and Matt. You, oh. Hey now. Hey now. <laughs> and then I, I capped it off with a, a trip to Italy. I think I left the day that Emily got back. We stayed down in Puglia, which is like the heel of the boot the entire time. We were there for about a month. That was myself and my, my family of five. So fun destinations for all. How did you decide on, on where you went? 
So as much traveling as we've done, I seem to be the only person in our, in, well, my wife and I, in our like greater friend group that has never been to Switzerland or Amsterdam or the, like the Netherlands. For whatever reason, almost everybody we know has been to both or at least one of, and we've been to neither. So this year we're, we're fixing that. So we did uh, obviously Netherlands in the spring and then we're doing Switzerland here in a couple months. So we're getting that exclusion from all of our friend groups out of the way. So now we can all puck like, oh yeah, well, when I was there, we did this. So it's peer pressure. <laughs> What's your favorite? <laughs> 100% peer pressure, yes. But also we've wanted to go for a while and I'm not really sure why we haven't been since then or already, but uh, yeah, we got it. I'm going to take some personal gain here because I've got three, two or three days in Amsterdam next year. Long enough or should I should I go for longer? What time of year? Uh, April. End of April? No, early. It's but it's between Australia, New Zealand, and uh, Scandinavia. So you, it depends on when, and some of it's just going to be a toss-up based on weather. But if you if you're like in prime tulip season and stuff, it's like a two to three week window, which early to mid April will be close. But you might catch it on the back end of your stay there. Two or three days is good, but maybe three to four would be better. Are there a lot of bees during tulip season? No, no. At least not that I noticed. Yeah. No. I mean, I don't know. I'm not allergic to them or anything. Is anyone mm. allergic to bees? No. no. I don't think you so. look hesitant. Are you like scared of bees? <laughs> well, I'm not scared of bees, but I, isn't everyone just like baseline allergic to bees and then it goes up from there? I feel like it just doesn't feel good to get stung by a bee regardless of whether you're allergic or not. <laughs> I got stung by about 30 of them at one time when I was like 10 years old and just needed a little oh. Benadryl and I was good. Oh, man. My, <laughs> just my first- a little? Yeah. My first bee sting was actually in my eye. So, ooh, yeah, that was rough. So I'm not a huge fan of bees. I've done I like didn't a notice beekeep- any Dutch bees. So no, I think I've be done okay. like a, a beekeeping thing, though. I did that at the Miraval and that was pretty fun. But yeah, nice. this is a uh, a tangent I did not have on my bingo card. Same. Bees. Same. <laughs> this is why I love podcasts. Turns out 10X Trial Team doesn't like bees. We learn something new about us every time. So, okay, so we talked about the, the, the peer pressure that drove Matt to the Netherlands, where apparently they have bees. Travis, how about you? What, what, uh, what made you decide on, on your destination? Yeah, um, so I went to Scotland for the same reason that everyone goes to Scotland. I went to scuba dive in the North Atlantic. For sure. It is yeah. known. Yep. Pretty, pretty reasonable. <laughs> no, so uh, I, uh, my friend organized a trip up to uh, Orkney. There's this area called Scapa Flow. And um, the history of it is at the end of World War One, as terms of the armistice, the Germans had to hand over the German fleet, which was interned at Scapa Flow. And politics went down. Peace treaty didn't get signed on time, but it wasn't communicated to the general admiral. And so he kind of started panicking and decided to just sink the entire German fleet. Oh. So it's like, I think probably the biggest collection in the world of German World War One ships. They just happen to be underwater. So today, folks, we've got B discussion and uh, a quick dive into world history. What will we cover next? <laughs> Who knows? Stay Maybe. tuned to find out. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. I have a question about your time in Orkney. Yeah. Uh, did you also include time on the world's shortest commercial flight? Probably not. Uh, that happens to take place in the Orkney Islands between one of the one island and the other. The flight takes ninety seconds. Wow! No, it covers literally I, like three miles or something. I'm not sure. No, we did. We did. We did fly um, from Edinburgh to I think Kirkwall, 
but we we took the direct one. There was some with layover, so I guess I possibly could have could have gotten on that, but unfortunately, I didn't. Next time you're in the area, you'll have to do it. Yeah, yeah. Next time, next yeah. for for everyone out there who's itching to go scuba diving in Scotland, be sure you you take the world's shortest flight. Yes, got it. Emily, how about you? Why why Portugal and France? Mine was pretty driven by just award availability. I stumbled upon a economy flight from Denver to Paris originally, and there's not that many nonstop flights from Denver to Europe. So I was like, this will be a great starting point, and then I'll figure out somewhere else to go. And Lisbon was someplace that we'd been kind of eager to visit. So once I knew I could get to Europe, I just figured, why not make one extra stop? I almost feel like we've covered this in a previous episode. You don't always have to go to your exact destination. Just get across the ocean and then figure it out from there. Yeah. Look at you. Look at you practicing what we preach. (laughs) Well, and and also just like how often you book a trip just because that's where the award availability is. Yeah. I mean, as long as it lines up and makes sense, go for it. (laughs) Love it. And then, yeah, for me, went to, you know, Puglia, Southern Italy, chose that. For a few reasons, one, we're you know traveling with three young children, so we're not going to be hitting like multiple destinations, doing city tours of like major European capitals. We were looking for somewhere just kind of a little bit slower and more laid back, nice weather and beaches. Puglia just made a lot of sense, and then from there, our specific towns were mainly driven by Airbnb availability and you know how beautiful each of the homes were. So you know, we you loved could it. you could uh, drag the three of us along, and then it would be like traveling with six little kids. <laughs> there we go. Can any of you fit in a bassinet on a plane? Because that's way cheaper than, you know, normal flights. Yep. I yeah. figured, Travis. What is everyone yeah. my, like My bassinet is a feet? first class pod. Oh. <laughs> Oof. Put that on a t-shirt and sell it. Yeah. And send me one. <laughs> what, were you, what were you most looking forward to while planning your trip? I know everyone kind of goes about that process quite differently. I guess we'll start again with Matt and his desire to scratch the, uh, what, what was it, peer pressure itch. Yeah. What were you, what were you looking forward to in planning that? I guess, other than telling your friends that you've been there. For me, the highlight was definitely the tulips in Netherlands. We went, there's literally like a two to three week window every year where they're just in peak uh, bloom. You might've seen photos of them. Maybe we can drop a couple photos here later on on the video if you're watching, but it's insane. They're just colors and all the different fields fields for miles to see. So to be able to time that in literally peak bloom was, was awesome. And then obviously the waffles, obviously European Fanta exponentially better than U.S. Fanta or the rest of the world. Don't fight me. It's a fact. <laughs> but also European food in general. So pretty much, yeah, all the highlights of what we're most looking forward to. For listeners out there, it's really important to know that Matt's lawn and garden is like the best in the Carolinas. Like it's North the nicest and thing south. you've ever said to me, Travis. I'm North Does that count the Biltmore? That's a bold claim. <laughs> oh, who cares about the Biltmore? Do you have tulips yeah. in your in your garden now? No, I haven't. I haven't done too many. Um, but I told Ash I'll finally do a nice a nice spread of tulips next year. We'll add them add them to the mix. Nice, nice. Travis, how about you? What were you yeah. looking forward Mine, to in planning? Mine's quick and easy. If it's not obvious, it was underwater shipwrecks. Yeah, not a lot. How long? Those how long were you to. underwater? <laughs> like what? Tell. Give the folks some uh, some understanding of like how long you dive for. These dives, I think the longest that I did was about an hour and a half, between an hour and a half and two hours. Oh, cold water makes cold. You can't dive as long. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, because don't, don't you do on some that are like four or five hours, like 
long, long, long dives? Uh, my longest so far is about three and a half hours. Yeah. Okay. Um, That's what I thought. Yeah. No, it, it, it was, these weren't super deep. Um, I think deepest was about 140, 150 feet. Um, average, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So little shorter time than when we're going deeper than that. Nice. Awesome. Emily, how about you? Yeah. My, um, I guess what I was looking forward to most is hearing about the places that my family had already been. They'd been to Lisbon. My brother and his boyfriend went first, or maybe my parents went first, but horribly coordinated. We all were in Lisbon within like a month and a half of each other, just not at the same time. Um, And so I was getting all these texts and pictures of places we should go. So that made the planning a lot easier and it just made it like more exciting to look forward to because I knew I had some solid recommendations. Nice. For me, it was just the sick Airbnbs. I don't know what it is about Italy, but it seems like the best Airbnbs in the world are all in Italy, just everywhere. And they're relatively inexpensive. And a lot of them are newly remodeled. Every single one of them looks like it should be on the homepage of, of Airbnb.com. But it's, we had a couple of great ones. I might actually link them in the show notes for anyone yeah. else who wants to stay there, but they were incredible. Wasn't is, there uh, one that was like all like brick castle looking on the inside? Did it have a moat? <laughs> no moats. Yeah. One one was like a, a new build house that was like very modern, a lot of glass, like beautiful pool overlooking like the town and ocean. The other was like an old converted Trullo house, which is, I don't know how else to describe it. It's like a little a cone-shaped stone house, like a little tiny castle that they then added on a bunch of other stuff to. But it's like just gorgeous, a lot of history there. And, you know, it was was quite comfortable as well. But is that one of those towns where like Italy has been like, we'll sell you this house for like a dollar if you fix it up and stuff? Yeah. Like the internet figured out that I went to Puglia and then I started getting all those ads for like, (laughs) hey, a bunch of retirees are buying houses in Puglia. And I'm like, ooh, that seems more appealing now. (laughs) And that that area had been like pretty economically depressed for quite some time. And and apparently a lot of folks are coming in and and remodeling Airbnbs or like retiring there and such. And it's it's a gorgeous area. And yeah, now I'm now I'm tempted. It's it's retiring like an Italian castle. It's interesting. Like, I think you're the first person I know who's actually been to like one of those towns where they were like trying to revitalize it through tourism by offering that for cheap. So it's cool to hear that it's like actually working. It is absolutely working. Yeah. Great spot to visit. Highly recommend. Let's move on to the important thing, though. Let's talk about the flights. How did everyone get to your destination? What airline did you fly? How would you review it? And I'm, this, I cringe every time I read this, but both the, the soft and the hard product. If you could tell <laughs> us about both. Yeah, let's start by clarifying for for anyone who's already thinks we're like crazy to care about some of the stuff we do. Uh, soft and hard product. So hard product is like your seat, like the physical amenities that you get on the plane. The soft product is like the food, the beverage, the amenity kit, the service is kind of kind of where that that break is. So if it's attached to the plane, it's hard product. If it's not attached to the plane. It's soft product. Thank you. Matt, you want to start us off? Might as well. Yeah. So we flew uh, United Polaris round trip. So both, you know, going and coming. Fantastic hard product. Polaris is highly regarded as not the best business class in the sky, but uh, I'd say it's probably the best US business class potentially. And then definitely up there in terms of 
some of the international carriers, but by far not not the absolute best. Uh, so much so that I, I slept like the entire flight, which never happens for me. Literally, wow. we had like an hour long taxi on the way out. I think we might even had some weather delays or something or a backup from a previous weather delay. So I literally slept before we we had taken off until like they were picking up breakfast like 30 minutes before we were landing. So that's to me is a testament of how good the hard product is because I rarely can sleep on planes. But United Soft Product is it's a super mixed bag. They kind of acknowledge it. It's pretty well known. Really good amenities. Service is honestly just kind of depends on the crew. Some of them are, are fantastic and some are just kind of average. Ours was good, both coming and going. But the food is just kind of that's their weakest, their weakest point currently. Uh, and their Achilles heel is their catering on United. And both ways was was not great. Did you get one of the cooling gel pillows? We didn't. They didn't have them for some reason. Oh, they didn't? No, I was surprised. You asked for it, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Right before, right when we uh, boarded, I was like, hey, I'd like one of the the cooling gel pillows. And she said they didn't have them. So, and then I didn't ask for it on the way back because we had a daytime flight. So I wasn't sleeping on that one and it was fine. So, yeah, I I was surprised that they didn't have those because those are awesome. Yeah, I haven't haven't actually used it, but for, for anyone out there, United on their Polaris internationally has some amenities that you have to ask for. And like the cooling gel pillow is one of them. They don't have one on board for everyone in business class. So like Matt said, ask when you're boarding. Is it like the Starbucks secret menu? <laughs> kind of. Yeah. They don't, I, they might style. have it in the, the pamphlet they give you. I can't, I think they have it written, but it yeah. might also be just kind of one, one of the, if you know, you know, type. Yeah. type features but uh they do they do the amenity kit and the little custom away suitcase things which are kind of cool we have used those not for toiletries and stuff but just other stuff like now i keep it in my book bag for cords and cables and stuff which is super nice so i was pretty excited about that one the color is the same color as our away luggage so yep. it's uh ashley has the navy blue away one i have a gray one so it perfectly matches hers but not mine nice travis how about you so i broke mine up I flew Air France there and British Airways back. My flight there, it was my first time flying Air France. Overall, it was acceptable. Seat was fine. I actually didn't sleep well, but it wasn't anything to the seat. I'm very hit or miss. I'll either sleep really well on a plane or not at all. The food in Air France, really good. I don't know if you know this, but the French know how to cook. Um, I've heard. Yeah, it's like a very like small thing that people overlook about France. Um, <laughs> um, food was good. Um, only disappointment was my bags got left in Paris, despite a like eight hour layover. They had too so, much time. They yeah. didn't have any pressure. <laughs> yeah. So when I when I got to to Scotland, I had just the bags that I had brought. So I was very glad to have gotten there early since all of my dive equipment that I needed for my trip was in Paris and also very thankful. This was literally the first trip that I had air tags. Um, my mother-in-law got me some for my birthday. So I was able to, to watch the bags as they moved. So they told me like, they'll be here the next day. So it was nice to wake up the next morning and see they were already in Scotland, like definitely a nice sigh of relief there. I'd call it, Average, like I enjoyed it. I wouldn't hesitate to to fly it again at all. For my return, I stepped it up just a little bit, flew British Airways first <laughs> class, because why not? 
Pinky's up. Pinky, pinky's up, Travis. Pinky's up. You, you were just trying to avoid paying for your business class seat, so you had to book the first class one, right? <laughs> well, so I had I I had business class booked originally, but they did an aircraft swap. So originally it was on the A350-1000, um, which has British Airways' new seats, which are really nice in business class, swapped to a Boeing 777, which does not have the new seats. And the layout is a 242 in business class, which means there's two seats on the left, four seats in the middle, two seats on the right. But are those the ones where they're one's looking forward and one's looking back and they're right on top of each other? So you just like awkwardly look at your (laughs) flying, not somebody that's flying next to you the entire time. Yes. Like if you have never flown business class, you'll still be like, this is amazing. But I'm way too spoiled now. And so when I saw the the aircraft swap, there was a seat available in first class. So I just booked the seat in first class instead and canceled the the business class one, which was a daytime flight. So that seat, business class seat still would have been fine. You know, it's like 10 and a half hours, but it was nice to be in first class. The the hard product itself, I really liked it. It's the older first class, but it's very spacious, both the seat very open, which I know can be a touchy thing. Like people are really into doors on their seats on airplanes and it's cool, but I really like an open first class cabin. It, I don't know, you're on a plane for 10 hours. Like why make yourself more claustrophobic than you already are? So it does a good job of balancing the privacy with not feeling too, too enclosed. The food, I actually thought British Airways' catering was exceptional out of London. We'll say I didn't think that the Concord room, their first class lounge, was really anything worthwhile. It was nice, but hot take, hot take. Yeah, (laughs) hot take. People hype it up. It was fine. It was no big deal. The private security, like having your own area to go through security in the airport for first class. Very nice. So you don't have to like wait in lines. But the Concord Concord room was I mean, it's better than the business class lounge, but it's it's down there with Emirates's first class lounge for me. Um, down there okay down there yeah, um, yeah. Um, yeah. we're gonna uh, we're gonna dive deeper into kind of our, our lounge experience a little bit later in the episode but first oh. I, I do want to mention that it, it seems like this aircraft uh change might have been karma coming home t- for you after that a a you know swap to the room that we talked yeah. about in the previous episode <laughs> where, and yeah. ironically too i think you're flying backward right they asked like are you okay with flying backward yeah. Yeah. This time it's like, no, I'm not okay with flying backward because I need a better product. So well, and you're now I, even, you've paid your debt. Yeah, well, and it turned out I had some Avios, Avios. I don't remember what our consensus on how to pronounce it is, but I think it's I, Avios, right? Avios. I had British Airways points. And there we go. <laughs> I, and I had originally booked it with American Airlines miles and I find American Airlines miles to be a little bit more valuable. Additionally, like, well, I know we'll get into how we booked it later. But yeah, it was worthwhile. The food was really good. I really, really liked the catering. The service was incredibly nice. Like when I did the tea service, so in first class, they do a proper British tea service, which I had never done before. They're asking me like what I want. And I said, I don't know. I've never done a tea service. And so they were like, oh, well, we'll just bring you everything and like walk you the through The whole it. spread. And wow. yeah, the whole spread. It was awesome. I would 100% fly it again. Really enjoyed the experience. Side note, doing like afternoon high teas and stuff is like our little bougie splurge when we go places. It's super fun. It's yeah. Yeah. This was my first time. I will definitely be doing more in the future. 
Nice. <laughs> Emily, how about you? So pretty much until the day before we left, we were flying economy on Air France, but we uh, ended up switching that to a business class flight on Lufthansa. And we flew Denver to Munich, had a nine hour layover and then flew to Lisbon on the back end. And so we had time to kind of like take the train in to Munich, walk around for a little bit. It was still exhausting, but it was at least nice to like kind of be awake in the middle of the day. (laughs) But I have like no complaints, even though I'm sure I should have complaints about Lufthansa, but it was like my first ever business class flight. So I would say like the seats were actually really, really comfortable. They were not very private at all. It was like wide open, but I did not care at all. (laughs) But yeah, the service was great. There was pretty much like always wine in my glass, even I think when I was asleep. So <laughs> they were they were prepared. <laughs> I I got to fly Lufthansa business class for the first time during COVID. So they blocked you can only have one seat out of the pair of two. So oh, that was like unless nice. you were on a ticket together. Like if yeah. you were on a ticket okay. together, you could pick the two of them. But otherwise, like yeah, you you had your one seat, no one next to you. Yeah. Uh, was there was nice. one thing that I, I didn't realize, like having flown, bus- never flown, flown business class is that there's a lot of like seat swapping that goes on. And maybe that's not normal, but people are always like, I want that seat. Can I switch with you? Or like something's not right about my seat. So they're going to move like four different people around. So everyone's happy. And I just feel like that would never happen in economy because I feel like people are like more staunch about where they're sitting when they only can sit upright for 10 hours. I've. <laughs> I've seen it some, I'd say like maybe one out of every like four or five flights where it, it's kind of like that, like a few people swapping. Yeah. And, but also if you say no, it's like not a big deal. Like yeah. people don't give you a hard time about it. I don't yeah. know. I, I got some serious judgment on a flight we had from New York to Seoul like five or six years ago where we was on Asiana and they theirs is like two, uh, what are they, I guess the honeymoon suites and then the row behind is like two separate or whatever. Well, the people behind us were, I don't know, they were a few years older than us and they were on the two separate ones and we had the the honeymoon suites or whatever they call them. Uh, and they were like really mad that we weren't willing to switch with them for some reason and were like kind of trying to guilt trip us into it. It was very awkward. And of course, then we're on like a 13 or 14 hour flight with them right behind us the whole time. So like every time you get up to go to the bathroom or they get up to go to the bathroom or whatever, it's this awkward eye contact. It's like... Should have yeah. picked your seats when you booked your flights. We booked, we picked these on purpose first. Yeah. Lesson learned for I them. believe that podcast recently proposed a law change that would solve all of this <laughs> a couple episodes ago. <laughs> yeah. Asking to switch misdemeanor or felony, depending on the nature of the seat switch. But yeah. <laughs> going to bring that back up. Someone start a petition. I'll sign it. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm just enjoying the educational aspects of this. I've always called it Asiana, not Asiana. I, I think Asiana is correct. Yep. Somehow these podcasts keep getting to the pronunciations. And, and oddly <laughs> enough, that's another one where I think the airline sent out a press release, including us, and, and said it's Asiana. So I'm, I must have gone to spam. <laughs> I, yeah. I well, ironically, thinking... too, we are 10x travel, often called 10 times travel. So I guess we get it, right? So yeah. anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Emily, was, go ahead. We also want to hear about your your trip home. Oh, my trip home. Yeah, on the way back, we flew. We ended up flying Air France um, business class from uh, Paris to Dallas. So we did end up having to reposition on the way back, but certainly worth it. We booked it like two days before we flew, so there weren't any fl- any seats together. 
So we were just like one behind the other on the right hand side of the plane. I was really hoping you were about to say, so we lobbied really hard and convinced yeah. people to switch seats. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, we, we were going to try, but there was a, like an older couple that had gotten split up because one of the seats was broken. And so the flight attendants were really trying to get them to sit together and they were asking us to split up. And so we were like, let's just leave it. We'll just stay where we are. But I actually thought the seats on Lufthansa were more padded and comfortable than they were on my Air France flight. And I liked the way that the Lufthansa seats reclined better than the the Air France ones, because you could kind of go more zero G on Lufthansa than you could on Air France. Like I felt like I could only go like back and flat and there wasn't like a lot of leg leg lift action. <laughs> First time on business class and she's already analyzing the, the zero G capabilities of the seats. Oh, yeah. I love it. Love yeah. it. I mean, the moment you start using terms like hard and soft product, you've already gone all the way to the end of the ridiculousness <laughs> yeah. of evaluating a product. So yeah. Oh, yeah. we're and already there. It's 100% Emily too. She's the one who writes our outlines for the podcast. So like She's done it. She's done it one trip and she's already hard and soft product. She's, she's fully committed. I'm so, so far in. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, Michael's so, so far into it. He's like, okay, any flight over six hours has to be business class. I'm like, okay. Oh, what monster. Have there it is. Hook on and sinker. That's the it. moment we warn everyone about. Yep. Yeah. Get, just I get mean, that first premium redemption and you're hooked. You, yeah. you know it's happening when it's like two days before your return and you're rebooking your flight because you're yeah. dreading taking that economy flight. Yeah. And it was going to be a long one, too, because originally we had economy back on Air France from uh, from Paris to Denver, which is like 10, 10 and a half hours, maybe 10 hours. So, yeah, as pretty much as soon as we landed in Lisbon, we were like, OK, how can we change our flight back? Because we're not doing that. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you did because you know what the worst part of that return flight and economy would have been? Uh, that you probably would have boarded at the front of the plane and had to walk through the business class cabin to get to your seat. Yeah. And just yep. saying, oh, I could have been sitting here. Could have been me. <laughs> you can always ask to switch. I mean, someone will gladly take your <laughs> yeah, economy yeah, right. seat, right? Yes. So <laughs> no big deal. So like when y'all are flying in a premium cabin with your your partner, do you go for if it's like one, two, one, do you go for seats together? We don't. We 100% prefer like two window seats, even if they're like on completely separate sides of the plane. We have no set system. Like sometimes we'll book them together in the, I keep calling them the like honeymoons ones, but you know, the ones where they're, they're close. So you can like sit and have a conversation. But if they don't offer those and they're like the herringbone or whatever, where they're both kind of angled in every row, then we'll probably pick, tick a, a window seat where we're kind of one or two rows in between us. Yeah. I think, uh, it's nice for your like first experience to be able to like sit next to someone and like talk about how awesome it is. <laughs> I think if we were going to split up, I'd almost rather be like totally on the opposite side of the plane rather than like one behind the other. Cause then you're like trying to like get up and like look over the back of the seat and like talk to your partner or whatever. And then it's just like, eh, maybe I should just lay down and go to sleep. <laughs> Have you ever been the awkward person in between another couple who's one in front and one in behind you and you're in between them on those like one, two ones? Seats. Matt, you are a magnet for conflict and seat choice. No, no, I'm not man. saying. I just, it just, it's <laughs> always interesting. The same flight as like, Matt now. No, no, I'm just saying well, it's interesting because yours, yours got equipment swapped. So I just think uh, it's interesting because they'll like have conversations over you, and I'm just like, hi, I'm right here. You can like walk around me and go talk to them. Yeah. Oh, I've never had anyone do that. Oh, like okay, I've yeah. seen people like walk around because that's what we'll do. Like we both yeah. prefer window seats 
And like, especially if it's staggered, like to where we're at the window. So we'll just get up and walk and go talk to each other. Be like, oh, this was a really good movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My wife and I are the same. Well, we would, would pick two window seats if that was available. Although I, I'll say we usually don't talk to each other a lot, like especially during the flight cabins kind of quiet, but we communicate using like facial expressions of like, <laughs> oh my God, like hold up like the champagne, like when they bring around like Dom, whatever, and be like, oh, you know, like just purely through excited facial gestures will we communicate what we're liking about the flight so speaking of what did you fly we talked a lot with everyone else what did you fly (laughs) yeah so i was i I flew air france business on the way there seems to be a trend here and actually i missed out on the air france in the group yeah air france award availability has just been wide open for like summer travel to europe which is pretty surprising but like hey we'll take it so yeah air france business on the way there we did chicago to paris to bari in, in south italy it was okay. I feel like that's the consensus on Air France. Good food, like very friendly staff. Hard product is kind of like a C plus. It's probably the least comfortable lie flat seat I've ever flown on, but it does lie flat. So I'm, I'm happy about that. They had great award availability for, you know, my entire family to sit together with it. And we also got an infant bassinet seat. It was fine. Like it was nothing noteworthy, but it was fine. The way home, however, much more than fine. We had booked Emirates business class from Milan to JFK and uh, for, you know, four people plus one infant. And then like a week or so before it was time to fly home, I checked for first class availability, right? It's kind of like searching for Taylor Swift tickets on Ticketmaster like two weeks after they dropped, right? That's definitely not going to be there. But it was. And I saw there were four open seats. And I didn't even tell my wife. I didn't want to get excited. But I'm like, eh, there's a smart there's move. A small smart chance, move. right? But I did tell my six-year-old daughter, who's, who was absolutely thrilled. Every morning we'd wake up. She'd be like, Daddy, can you check the flights? Like, can you see if those seats are still there? <laughs> and every single morning, I'd be like, yep, they're still there. And then she'd make me show her like Google images, photos of like, what would it be like to fly in first? And I'm, like kind of just showing her all the things, reading her f- through reviews. Somehow she's more excited than me. So I'm thinking, if this doesn't happen, she's going to be so heartbroken to like fly Emirates business, which is ridiculous because that's an amazing product. It was there. I get to the airport. And I'm like, hey, I, I'm pretty sure there's four seats available in this flight. We have four people. Can we upgrade? And a long story, maybe for a future podcast, the, the rep was trying to tell me that you can't do that. And I was like, you absolutely can. Like, here's the policy. I showed it to her. Spent like 30 minutes at the desk and eventually got the upgrade. We actually have a video of the moment we told my daughter, like, hey, we're all flying in first in seats that were all together. Like, it couldn't have been more perfect. And she just went nuts. And uh, yeah, Emirates first, I mean... Everything about it, just incredible. That's It's got to be one of the best commercial airline products in the sky. It's one of the shower. It was just amazing. The food is fantastic. The service was fantastic. There's a bar on the plane, which is actually super convenient when traveling with kids because they have like cookies and stuff. And it's like a, another place to kind of go if your kids are kind of antsy. You can so take so them back they can bar. stand up and kind of run around a little yeah, bit. Yeah, around. take your coloring book, sit back there. You know, my daughter ordered like a Shirley Temple and kind of like just burn off some energy. And it was incredible. Yeah. So we flew home in style. You can also flex because the bar is open to business and first class, but you can send the the alcohol from first class. So like you can send like a bottle of Dom back there and just flex on everyone who's flying business. <laughs> oh, <Yep>. man. <laughs> Sounds I'm, kind of fun, but then kind of mean. But uh, yeah, I'm pretty impressed with uh, your six year old daughter's ability to keep it a secret from your wife. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I think, she. I told her the morning we were heading to the airport. Is I think this might happen, and she's always like, ah, "I don't know, we'll see." You'd be remiss here not to tell the story also about your six-year-old a couple of years ago uh, about her story about uh, status to line jump. Oh, at the zoo, yeah, because yeah, this, I mean, this is 
awesome. Yeah, I guess my my six-year-old is, is what got to be one of the most spoiled toddlers on earth for like <laughs> flight products and stuff. And she she kind of is getting it now. And yeah, we were at the zoo after taking a recent international trip and there's like a line to like pet a reptile or whatever. And she like tugs on my sleeve, looks at me, goes, daddy, do we have status? Can we skip the line? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, wow. We should fly economy just, more often. global entry <laughs> uh, apply at yeah. the zoo. That's How awesome. global is global entry? <laughs> I'll have to I'll have to share some some photos of it. She she just gets on the plane. She kind of like knows what to do. She just immediately reclines her seat halfway to like the zero G that Emily mentioned is watching kid shows. She puts on her own headphones. Like she'll ring the the service bell and ask for a lemonade. And like she just I don't know. She she's very comfortable in those spaces and it's cool. But also that's going to be a problem when she gets older. <laughs> anyway, it was a great trip. Let's uh let's get to the to the juicy part and and, and how others can do this by talking about how we book these flights using points and miles. Matt, you're up first. You flew, you know, United Players business round trip. How'd you, how'd you book it? So one of the really good award chart sort of sweet spots is, uh, it can be hard to find, but if you can, it's doable. You can book these Polaris round trip flights from the US to Europe for 88,000 points per person round trip in business class booked through ANA, which is a Star Alliance partner. So you're able to use those to redeem on United. Um, I transferred American Express membership rewards points to ANA after I'd found the availability and then made the redemption. Important note that it takes two to three days at a minimum for those points to transfer from American Express to ANA. So you are kind of in limbo because that space can be hard to find. So it can easily disappear. And I've seen it happen. It's happened to me more than once where the stuff I originally had intended on disappeared before I was able to to make the redemption while I was waiting for the points to transfer. So it is a little dangerous, especially if you know you have just the exact number of points you need and you know you don't have other points you could maybe use a different partner or something on. But when you can make it work, it's it's a really, really good deal. Awesome. Travis, how about you? I booked my Air France flight with I think fifty seven thousand five hundred flying blue points. I don't remember if I, tra- I actually I think I transferred them from Amex because two days after I transferred them, Amex did a transfer bonus. So if I had been a little bit more patient, I wouldn't have had to have transferred as many points. But, you know, it's not quite Matt's level of ANA where it's 44,000 per person one way, but 57,500 is pretty good. Yeah. yeah, still pretty good. For my return in British Airways first class, it was 80,000 Avios, I believe. And like one of the things British Airways has gotten a bad rap, not because it's like a bad experience. Obviously, I love my experience, but because they typically charge high taxes and fees on award tickets, especially for flights leaving from London. Like a lot of airlines will pass on like fuel surcharges, but British Airways just tax on like literal like extra fees to pad their pocket. But they kind of secretly and sneakily started doing um, like doing uh, award flight discounts where they don't pass on those like extra taxes and fees. So it was only, I think like 600 in taxes and fees, which is still like more than I really want to pay, but getting pretty much straight home. I looked at other options and I would have had to reposition once I got to the U S which would have been another two or $300. So I just paid the taxes and fees there, but especially with the prices of flights now, like $600 for first class. It's certainly a privilege to be able to pay that. But the thing is a little bit less now that like you can't really fly to Europe for like $1,500 in business class like you could for for years, you know. Can't put a price on having high tea in the air either. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) 
There's no shower in British Airways first class, though. Mm. Womp womp. You'll survive. <laughs> Emily, how about you? I used 80,000 United miles per person to book our outbound flights, which is like definitely a little higher on the range of business class flights. But I had a bunch sitting in my United account, and that's what I wanted to use them for. So I have no shame. <laughs> and then uh, on the way back, I think there was a, I transferred from Chase using Ultimate Rewards. There was a transfer bonus going on to, to Air France. So I used 56,000 chase points per person on the way back to book those. And then we ended up in Dallas and we had to get back to Denver. So I used our Southwest Companion Pass, which made it much cheaper to reposition all the way back there. So, Although there you would have had to reposition airports too, huh? Yeah. Yeah. That was another, there was an Uber involved in my repositioning for sure. <laughs> was that a known step or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was there a are plenty step. of people that Probably yeah. would not know that there are two airports in the <laughs> Dallas area. Yeah, we did know about it. But as soon as we called the Uber from DFW to go to to Dallas Love, the Uber driver was like, you guys went to the wrong airport, didn't you? And we were like, I think we might be some of those rare people who did this on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I probably didn't believe you, but <laughs> yeah. no. sure. Yeah. I've done yeah. that a number of times in New York, like land in JFK, transit over to LaGuardia or the other way. Yep, yeah, I do that regularly. I just try not to do it with Newark. It's pretty far from the other two. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I mean, so much that so Chicago. that I'm so much so that I don't know if you guys saw, but like within the last few months, they have removed Newark from showing up. Like if you search New York City area airports, you can you used to be able to search and it would show Newark, Laguardia, or JFK as options. Now it does not include Newark. It's just JFK and Laguardia, or at least it's not supposed to. Yeah. Maybe that's just one or two of the airlines, but I'm pretty sure it was all of them. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it's not United. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. United's like that friend that like lives way out in the suburbs, but like won't admit to it. And they're like, hey man, come over. Like, where come do you live? Over. I live kind of near town, you know, hour and a half out of town, but kind of near town. That's what it feels like every time I'm out there. Anyway, for my own trip, uh, the outbound flight on Air France, I think it was like about 97,000 Air France points per person. Plus the infant ticket, which they charge 10% of the cash fare for that. So that was like 300 bucks. You can certainly find Air France for cheaper than that. It can go as low as like 57,500 one way for business class. This one was a bit more. We were flying on Memorial Day weekend, which didn't help. We needed four tickets together, which didn't help. Had a ton of points though. And that was kind of a no brainer. And then on the way home, Emirates business uh, from Milan to JFK was 72,500 Emirates miles per person. And then also the, the 10% cash fare infant ticket, which is a steal. In fact, booking it round trip is even a, a much better deal. It's only like an additional 20,000 miles round trip, but 72,500 for Emirates biz one way over an ocean is fantastic. And then the, the upgrades at the airport were, I think it was 39,000 miles per person, which is also like, if you have that opportunity and you say, no, I will cry. <laughs> like I will send anyone 39,000 miles who's standing in the airport to do that. Cause that's, Wait, wait, that, that was not an actual war. offer. No, that was not an actual <laughs> offer. Uh, yeah, uh, there'll be a legal disclaimer in the notes that yeah. says that was not an actual offer. But okay, I, I might do it once, but yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, it was incredible. I I, I want to, not to like distract from, you know, Bryce joining the I've gotten a shower on a plane club, but just to kind of highlight how leveraging transfer partners can be beneficial here. So like Bryce and I both booked both of our flights with, the award program of the airline. Like we use Flying Blue for Air France. I use Avios, Avios, 
for British Airways and he used Emirates miles for Emirates. But Emily used 80,000 miles to book Lufthansa. And I'm not I'm not using this to 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 say Emily did a bad thing. Like congrats on joining business class, but like because Matt was able to find round trip availability on Star Alliance. That's the key with ANA is it has to be round trip because he was able to find that for only 8,000 miles more, he was able to get his round trip flights. But neither of them, you know, Emily didn't use Lufthansa's program to book it. Matt didn't use United's program. So this is an example of how you can leverage transfer partners or points that you already have in order to to make it work, you know, because Emily had a large stash of United miles already. So she's just being sure to burn those, which means her transferable points, her Amex, her Chase, Capital One, Built, City, I knew I was forgetting one there. Um, like she can save those and leverage those for another trip. Everyone did well. These are all great bookings. I think most importantly, like your friend at work redeemed 88,000 Amex points for like $400 cash back and thought they were doing great. So there's that. So yeah, all all like great high value uses of points and miles here. So yeah, I mean, nice even, job, everyone. even Bryce says, you know, you compare his Air France to mine, but like I needed one ticket on a Tuesday. He needed four tickets on a holiday Monday holiday, yeah. like right as people are getting out of school and starting to travel for the summer. So he might have paid a little bit more points, but sure saved him a lot of cash. Yeah, we'll actually talk about exactly how much these things would have cost here in a little bit on the show. Before we do that, though, can you tell us what cards did you open or use? Kind of how did you earn the points to book the flights that we just talked about? I didn't directly open any particular cards for this trip. Uh, I've got a decent stash from just opening cards in general for future use. But yeah, like I said, ANA transfers from membership rewards points. So, you know, Amex has just been crazy with offers lately. So cards like the Amex Platinum, both personal and the business versions, Amex Gold or the Amex Green, all have great offers, 150K offers on Platinum and some of the gold products are not uncommon over the last couple months. So literally, if you're able to snag one of those bonuses, that you could get just about two round trip business class flights to Europe booking through ANA if you're able to grab one. So pretty insane. Nice. Travis, how about you? I'm I'm kind of in the same boat as Matt where I didn't open a specific card for this because we've just all been doing this for so long. We have some momentum and some points kind of sitting there. But for both Air France Flying Blue and British Airways points. They both are transfer partners of every major bank. So I could have done Chase Sapphire Preferred Card, a Capital One Venture X credit card, um, American Express Gold Card. Literally, like any of those would have gotten me pretty far. In fact, like with probably two, well, one, if I took Matt's approach with like the 150K, but even if like you want some of the cards with a lower annual fee, like two of them could have gotten me enough points to to make my trip happen. Also, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quickly hop in with something I just noticed that's kind of funny when you work in this industry long enough, that happens. Travis oversees all of our content and compliance, kind of making sure like we're using the right card names and stuff. You notice that he mentions he opened a Chase Sapphire Preferred card and American Express Gold card. He's using like the proper card names, which is amazing. Everyone else is like, yo, CSP and the Amex Gold. Yeah, I opened an Amex Platinum. Not the card (laughs) name. Exactly. (laughs) It's spot on, Travis. Yeah. And and like, keep in mind, you know, if you're using my 10X and looking for a card and it's not there, you might want to use the proper card name, which like, especially with the Amex, you know, you've got like, we all call it the Amex Plat or the Amex Platinum. 
it is technically the platinum card from American Express or something like that. So maybe have to scroll down a little bit further to find it. Emily, how about you? How, how did you book the trip? Um, so I think all of my points at some point were Chase Ultimate Rewards. So for my outbound and return flights, there it was a total of 272,000 Chase points. So if you are looking at our best cards list and you just run through like the first four on the list, like you get a Chase Sapphire Preferred and three of the Chase Inc. cards, the business cards, then you'll have plenty of points to to book the same flights that I did at the price that I did. You could probably find a better deal for <laughs> my outbound flight, but I know not everyone is always eligible for business cards, but it's probably more common than you think that you might actually be eligible for one. So if you take a look at those first couple of cards, those are some great ones to get you started and enough to get to Europe and back. Yeah. And I, I want to quickly double click on that too. I, I think it helps when when folks are looking at card offers and you see like, you know, 80,000 chase points, and that seems kind of like this arbitrary number, like, you know, what is that actually worth? Well, you know, you know, Matt just did round trip business class to Europe for 88,000 points. So I would encourage everyone to kind of reframe, look at those as, hey, that's about a round trip flight to Europe, potentially in business class if you play your cards right. And when you use points as, as well as, you know, we're, we're hearing here on this podcast. For me, I, you know, I used Air France Flying Blue Miles for the way out. They're a transfer partner of both Chase and Amex. And then the way home, Emirates Miles, also a transfer partner of both Chase and Amex. So I, I think I actually ended up dividing it halfway between the two just to kind of manage how many of each that I have. But like all of you, I, I have a nice stash of those after doing this for quite some time. I don't know that I could pinpoint like a particular card offer that gave me those, but it was some combination of Chase Sapphire Preferred, the Chase Inc. cards, American Express Gold card trademark, Travis, and uh, probably one of the Amex American Express Business Gold or Business Platinum cards. But you, uh, you're in a good spot if you're just sitting on a bunch of those transferable miles because you have options to book things like you just heard about right now. So I already know the answer to this next question, but I want to hear your stories on it. Did you have to reposition on either end of your trip to make these beautiful redemptions happen? I definitely did. Uh, being in North Carolina with options, nonstop options are limited. Although Air France did just announce a new Raleigh to Paris uh, flight starting this fall. There are a handful of ones you can take nonstop from Charlotte on American uh, and Lufthansa actually has one. So there are options, but but slim pickings, basically. We had to position from Greensboro to Newark. Our f- flight across was Newark to London. And then after landing in London, we had a separate positioning flight from London to Amsterdam that I booked uh, with Avios on British Airways. Um, I was able to use United Travel Bank to pay for our positioning flight from Greensboro to Newark. It was also in United, but a separate itinerary. But yeah, so we did just book a cash ticket, but was able to use United Travel Bank to pay for those. What's United Travel Bank? I don't even know the best way to explain it, but it's it's like kind of like a, a United gift card, essentially. It's probably the best way to describe it. You can sort of pre-purchase, yeah, essentially like a, the equivalent of like a gift card, stash some funds there, um, and then redeem those for flights at a future date, essentially. If anybody yeah. else has a better description, please no. jump in. And, and <laughs> that's, a, that's a good way if you've got a card that like has a travel credit that you may not have used, that you can use there. So like, you know, like say it's close to the end of the year or the end of your annual fee, whatever the cycle is um, for that credit and you haven't used it, you could go to United Travel Bank and just kind of purchase it. Like it's fixed denominations, but it's a good way to be able to cash it out to be sure that you're you're using that airline credit. And that doesn't expire anymore either, I believe. I think they do. 
I think, I think so. Do they? Think, okay. I think it's, it's like, like three or five years or something. Yeah. yeah. It's, oh, okay. it's a long time. So yeah. like effectively, no, you're going to use it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So we had a position uh, basically twice in the outbound, but then only we had a, a normal itinerary home from Brussels to Dulles to Greensboro. So uh, we were good there. Awesome. Travis, we're all envious of this answer, but go ahead and say it. Nope. <laughs> no repositioning. <laughs> Travis lives in the best airport market, probably in the country. And we're all very envious of it. <laughs> yeah. That's Houston, Emily. in case you were wondering if you haven't. Heard. It is Houston. Yes. Yeah. Um, How about you, Emily? Yeah. I mean, we kind of touched on my out of the box repositioning on the way home, but taking an Uber from Dallas Fort Worth to Dallas Love Field and then uh, flying back to Denver using a Southwest Companion Pass. I think that the Southwest Companion Pass is like such a perfect tool for repositioning. So I'm fine. Obviously, the Uber wasn't wasn't spectacular to throw in the middle there, but it was worth it to fly business class home. So no regrets. Definitely worth it. I feel like companion pass for like repositioning feels like a pitching wedge. It's like, hey, man, I can't quite get to the green on this, but this is the perfect final step to get me where I need to go. I think that's the I second golf metaphor. Yeah, the second yeah. golf metaphor you used on the podcast for someone who... From what you've said, doesn't really play golf. <laughs> well, no. And when I do, I golf. often am not hitting the green. So that one's applicable to <laughs> <Okay>. me. <laughs> golf is the perfect analogy for life, though. Yeah. Boom. I'll leave my golf metaphors at two for the day. Do, I mean, do stop me if I start again. I learned that. If I get off the fairway, if you will. I learned that <laughs> Scotland is a golf destination because everyone was like, are you playing golf? It's invented. Like, I have heard yeah. that before, Travis. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I was like, no, everyone knows it's a dive destination. Everybody. When we're doing our part to, to reframe Scotland tourism. <laughs> I love it. I, uh, I had to position on both sides of my trip. That's not uncommon. My home airport is Columbus, Ohio. So that first and last leg is really the hard part. Outbound, we repositioned to Chicago. And this is where I almost made a crucial mistake. We were flying out of O'Hare on Air France. I was kind of just apparently flying along and I booked, you know, Columbus to Chicago midway like months ago. Right. And so when I'm going through and doing kind of my on Southwest, you know, a couple weeks. Yeah. On Southwest. Sorry. And when I'm doing my like kind of usual audit, like a couple weeks before the trip, like just to make sure I don't have like a date missing. Cause I do that sometimes. I'm just like, Oh, wait, Oh wow. Okay. Hold on. Notice this, the switch kind of search. Like what are the options to get like a family of five with like more luggage than anyone should ever have and car seats and stuff from midway to O'Hare not good, right? So I was like, ah, good thing I caught that. But karma was on my side. I, I ran a search for, okay, what's still available for Columbus to O'Hare, where we actually have to go? And there was United first class cash tickets for like 170 bucks each, which is like cheaper than I paid for on Southwest. So I just paid cash. We flew, you know, first class on that basically like one hour flight and uh, things worked out. So well, and a added benefit there is you get a bunch of checked bags included in that because you had a first class ticket. Yeah. So free check bags, earn miles. Yeah. Right. So for everyone, a lot of wins it, all around. Yeah. So sometimes things just kind of work out in your favor. Yeah. And there's that one, that was definitely close. sometimes when I'm doing like a dive trip, even like down to Mexico and I'll just book it first class because it's cheaper for the first class ticket than for like all the bags that I need. <laughs> So how far in, in advance did each of you book these trips? I know a lot of people are, are very concerned about like, oh, I have to be there right when the window opens to get like the best deals. That's not always the case. So how, how did it happen this time? Originally, I booked probably six to seven months in advance, but then I was tinkering with our routing. And so I canceled it and rebooked it about two or three weeks before. It was a six to seven month, which is like kind of a, a not ideal sort of time frame, but like still can find plenty of availability. 
But then it ultimately came, I don't want to say two to three weeks before his last minute, but it's definitely maybe pushing it in terms of proximity to, to the travel time. Yep. Travis? I booked my Air France flight 11 months out as soon as availability opened. Sometimes I do that, but then like my return, my British Airways, my first one I booked, I think three months out. Like I think I booked it in March for a May trip. That's less than three months. And then I changed it like two to three weeks before the trip to the first class after I saw the equipment swap. Nice. Emily? Mine was originally 11 months out. And then when I decided to switch from economy to business class, I booked our outbound flight the day before we left. And I booked our return flight two days before we came back. So So good. Just so good. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I will never forget sitting at this like beautiful restaurant overlooking like the water, looking back at Lisbon, just upgrading my flight to a business class. (laughs) I'll take it. It was lovely. That's like an Emily, you made it type of moment right there. (laughs) Yeah. I think I, I I think I sent a video to you guys in the Slack channel. (laughs) We might have to dig that one up and put it in the show notes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure I could do that. Nice. I, I booked mine like four or five months in advance. I think it was January for a you know May, June trip. Uh, I actually used our, our own 10X Travel Award booking service. I use that for almost all of my trips now. Tons of options available. Did not make any changes in the week or two prior uh, to the trip. And it worked out. And there, there were actually like multiple other good options. There was like Singapore Air business uh, home that I could have taken and didn't. So I was surprised for kind of like peak Europe summer travel dates. You know, I need four plus one tickets. I need to fly premium cabin and to have options like that was, was surprising. And using the service was quite easy. I'm a fan. 10xtravel.com slash award booking. Well, and it's, it's it, you know, you mentioned those other options. And I think that's where some of that experience and expertise of our bookers comes in. You know, a lot of people flying from Europe aren't thinking about flying Emirates, which is based in Dubai in the Middle East or Singapore, which is based in Singapore. They do have those flights and that's like, knowledge that you get with more experience in points and miles but it can be valuable to leverage yeah and that that reminds me a quick aside story like a realization that was given to me on the emirates flight home as i was talking to this guy i was like isn't it weird that emirates flies from like jfk to like milan and back he looks at me he goes no it's this flight really should be called upper east side to lake como i was like oh (laughs) that's why yep and when you talk to everyone there is from manhattan and they're all going to lake como at least the ones sitting in premium cabin, which I guess kind of makes sense. So that's that. Let's talk about lounges. How were the lounges? Did you did you have access to a lounge? Which one was it? How was it? Tell us about that experience. I'm not sure if you guys have known, but uh, I've heard this or not, but Greensboro is not exactly a hotbed for uh, premium cap, premium lounges. So I had zero lounge experience there to start our trip. It's okay though. We made up for it in Polaris Lounge in Newark. Uh, we had like a six hour layover, give or take. So a little bit longer than, actually, no, it was longer than that after I did our schedule change a couple weeks before. So I have a family in in Hoboken or whatever. So we actually left our stuff and then left the airport for a few hours and then came back and still had a few hours in the Polaris Lounge. And then we did the Polaris Lounge in Dulles on arrival because we had our next uh, connecting flight home home to Greensboro. So got to hit up two Polaris Lounges, which which was really good. Both were great. Yeah, the Polaris lounges are nice. Yeah. We did do the uh, British Airways Galleries Lounge in at Heathrow, which is like right across from the Concord Room. It was fine. It was, honestly, I got a, you know, a decently proper English breakfast, which was kind of nice, but also in a lounge, like it wasn't anything outstanding. And then we didn't do any lounges in Brussels because we had 
crazy, crazy immigration lines. We, I think we were in line for like an hour and a half to leave. So we, we didn't quite walk on the plane, but we had like maybe 15 or 20 minutes. So Awesome. Travis, how about you? On the way there, the only like good lounge in Houston is the Polaris Lounge, which is very like you can't just access it. There's no way to get it with like priority pass. Even a United Club membership doesn't get you there. So I basically had the options of the Air France Lounge or the uh, Amex Centurion Lounge. The Amex Centurion Lounge at Houston is always crowded. There's no windows. And I've been there a lot. And I was like, I'll just go to the Air France one. It was fine. The AC was working. The AC went out at the airport like three days before, and it was like 100 degrees. So I was just glad that the the air conditioning was working. I mean, I basically got to the airport like an hour before my flight. So I didn't spend more than maybe 20 minutes in the lounge. It was a place to sit that was a little bit quieter, had some drinks and stuff. So the Air France Lounge in Paris, same thing. It was a little bit nicer. Their business class lounge. I enjoyed it. Nothing to write home about, but it had a sh- had shower suite, so I was able to take a shower, which is always nice after, you know, if you don't have one on the plane, after uh, a long flight. On the way back, the British Airways lounge, the Concord room, like I said, I, well, backing up, like getting to the airport, if you're flying first class, there is a special security area at Heathrow for first class that you can go through. So much faster to get through security. And when you're, when you pop out, you're right at the lounge. So that's nice, but I didn't think it was anything great. Like it was definitely less crowded than a business class lounge. The seating was a little bit more comfortable. There's a little memorabilia from when they flew the Concorde, which was cool. Overall, I mean, I'd go again over the business class lounge, but I think what makes the Concorde room, like why people hype it up so much is they have a very good alcohol selection. I'm not the biggest drinker in the world, especially I had a morning flight. So like, especially at like seven in the morning. So I didn't really take advantage of that. But if you do, and they, I think they were serving it. um, I mean, they've got some really nice selections, but you know, I wasn't drinking that early. Awesome. Emily, how about you? I didn't really have a ton of time before our departing flight. uh, So no, no lounge experiences there, but the Lufthansa business class lounge in Munich was actually pretty nice. It was really spacious and pretty empty and just a nice place to relax after you've been walking around Munich on zero sleep. Well, not zero sleep because I was flying in business class and I slept a little bit, but it was a nice place to to recover. And then on the way home, we were in that same, the Paris Air France business class lounge, which was also nice, but, uh, I think I, we were there for breakfast and the breakfast food was just not, not good, but that's okay. You win some, you lose some. <laughs> I think you win if you're not in the terminal. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> for me, uh, we actually have to try out the new lounge that just opened in Columbus on the outbound. It's kind of whatever. I think, it, I think it's like one of those, the club at CMH or whatever lounges, which is just like seemingly designed to be forgettable the moment you leave. Is but. it not the the escape one? Yeah. The Amex one? Oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, escape yeah. lounge. Where yeah, I feel they, like those are similar okay. in experience for me. But I've been to that one in Columbus, and they have deviled eggs, and they're really good. They do. But they only put one per plate, and they only put, like, three plates out at a time. And, like, if you don't like deviled eggs, like, okay. But, like, if you like deviled eggs, you want more than one. Yeah, <laughs> and, for sure. You know, and so, like, you don't want to take all of the the ones that are there and leave none for anyone else, even if I might have done that. As I was say, you feel free. <laughs> Deviled eggs are on that short list that I have of foods that are, like, too risky for, like, food poisoning issues to eat before a flight. So, like, I, I remember looking at them and being like, 
not going to risk that. I want to, but I'm not going to. But anyway, that lounge is, is, it's fine. It's the only lounge in Columbus. I'm glad that we have one. I was like the only person in there, like with my family, which is kind of wild, even though it was like a very busy travel day. So hopefully they hang around there a little bit longer, but that was fine. But really the, the highlight lounge wise for us was the, the new Delta lounge at O'Hare, which on our Air France business ticket, Air France is remodeling their lounge, or at least they were at the time. So they, you know, gave you access to that Delta lounge. It's one of their like newly uh, refurbed ones. It's like 30 foot ceilings, floor to ceiling windows, just massive lounge. It feels like it's its own terminal. They have a, a hot dog stand, like authentic Chicago hot dogs. So kids love that. Like it, it was just a great place to kind of hang out for, I think we were there like three hours. They have shower suites and stuff. So that was quite comfortable. Ran into like a snag when we landed in Paris. Our departure then on to Bari was at a remote terminal that was like not super easy to get to. You had to take a bus. And these things are a lot harder when you're traveling with three kids. So my wife and I had this like kind of decision point of like, do we hang in like the nice arrivals lounges, like in the main terminal of Charles de Gaulle? Or do we go and try to get to lounge in the remote terminal and, and make sure we don't miss it? So we, we opted for the latter. But then we get there and I find out that per their lounge policy, I can't access it because my onward ticket was economy. Like flew in on business. They didn't have business on the way out. So I just assumed like, well, you get lounge access throughout. No. So we roll up in like the world's saddest remote terminal. There's nothing to do. There's like a single McDonald's. The lounge not only won't let us in, but they won't even let me buy access. So we just spent like five and a half hours sitting on like the saddest couches and all of CDG with young kids who wanted to sleep and were cranky. And that was horrible. And then on the way home, Emirates Lounge, business class. I, I share Travis's thoughts on this too. I, I, I guess I never really looked into it all that much. I just assumed like Emirates is going to have like a pretty snazzy lounge, right? They have a lounge on the plane. It was not good. It was like C minus. Like the food was stale and sitting out for a long time. Not a lot of great options there. It was, you know, your make your own drink service with kind of just like your typical like spread of like call like type liquors and wines. It was, it was just okay. But I knew that I would be getting caviar as soon as I got on a plane. So I also went easy. and. uh that's the Emirates Lounge. So lounges, check. Flights, checked. Let's talk about the last piece here. Hotels and accommodations. Um, where'd you stay? How'd you book it? What'd you think? Matt, you're up first. We stayed uh, a few spots. Most of our time in Amsterdam, we stayed at the Hyatt Regency Amsterdam. We paid 17,000 Hyatt points per night. It was a great neighborhood type hotel location. Uh, really good price. The only cons I would say are that the location's probably just a little bit far from some of the main Amsterdam attractions. So a lot of cab rides or bike rides um, to kind of get places. And and so that can add up quickly. But otherwise, really love the hotel. Super nice, quiet. And yeah, like I said, a really good redemption rate. So would definitely recommend, but just know location-wise, you're probably an extra 10 minutes away from some of the sort of happening spots in Amsterdam, maybe 15, depending on traffic. We did end up staying one night at the Andaz Amsterdam. The... The Hyatt Regency didn't have availability for our last night. And so I was playing this weird dance of the Andaz was like 20, was like 30K plus per night and going back and forth on if I wanted to justify it. So we did end up having to do it for one night. Location was awesome. Really love that hotel. But negatives were that the rooms were like super odd. You know, they're Andaz. So they, they kind of pushed the envelope quite a bit. So it was super modern. The bathroom was in the bedroom with like, one-way glass for the showers. It did have like a water closet or whatever, which was fine. But yeah, just kind of, I don't know, it was kind of weird. But we got a nice canal view and stuff. So it was super nice. The The food and beverage experience was just kind of blah in the restaurant downstairs. So I'd be on the fence about booking again. Location like you can't beat. But the actual hotel itself was had mixed feelings on it. And then when we were in Brussels, we stayed at the Marriott Hotel Grand, Pal- Grand Place. 
It was 30K Marriott points per night, fifth night free on award bookings. Uh, fantastic location. So definitely could recommend that. Hotel was being renovated during our stay. So a lot of the amenities were closed. The lounge was closed. And they had this kind of like makeshift lounge kind of set up in just this random room. So just kind of the lobby was two-thirds closed and a lot of you know temporary walls and stuff up. So that part was kind of hard, not necessarily to fault the hotel per se, because I know those things happen. But it was maybe a touch out of date, but hopefully the renovation will be addressing that. So Awesome. And hopefully the renovation is not putting beds in the middle of rooms and <laughs> you know bathrooms in the walls. I've, I've also said that Andas in weird is the best word to describe it. Yeah. Travis, how about you? Mine was easy. I didn't use points for any of my accommodations because in Edinburgh, there's not a ton of award hotels. And apparently the like days when we were there was right at, before the Beyonce concert. So they didn't, they cut off all award availability. So I paid like 180 bucks a night to stay in a travel lodge because it was the option. So, and then after that, I lived on a boat. So no points for living on the boat. <laughs> Can't use I love your the points travel too. lodge in the same vacation as like a first class flight on British Airways. Like <laughs> I mean, the travel lodge was nicer than the boat. So <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Emily, how about you? We ended up staying in three different hotels in Lisbon and we were there for seven days. So uh, we bounced around a little bit, but most of that was because I had like changed our flights around to book business class. So we got there like an extra day or two early, but I used a free night from a free night certificate from Marriott to book like the Moxie Lisbon hotel, which was really just like, we got there at 1030 at night. So it was really just a bed. And then we spent one night at a place, I think it was called hotel one, which was recommended to us by friends because there's a really beautiful pool and a great breakfast spread that we paid cash for. And then we spent five nights at the Memo Principe Real, which is a Marriott hotel. It's like one of their design hotels. And it was 136,000 Marriott points for five nights. And one of those was free just with their like fifth night free on award booking. So I felt like that was a pretty good, pretty good rate. And the, the hotel was really cool. It was very like hip. They had great drinks and a bar and a pool and the views were, were awesome. So I would definitely recommend that one. Awesome. And mine was simple. Two Airbnbs, paid cash, could have been options to use points with like Chase pay yourself back or something like that. I didn't save them for future use and just paid reasonable cash prices for uh, Airbnbs. So to kind of piece together, like put a bow on these trips, I'd like to go around and have everyone just tell us roughly like how much would these have cost if you paid cash? Was the savings in terms of points, any kind of like uh, things you wish you knew if you were doing this again or general suggestions about your your trip to share? Mine was hard because between the positioning flights and then I, I guess I technically had like a multi-city flight because we flew into one city and out home from another one. So it's complicated to get cash pricing for it. Google Flights has the multi-city trip listed at like $10,000. I think that's probably a little bit high. I think it would probably be more like five or $6,000 if you had to try and book it on a single itinerary. But still... You know, what was that? Eighty-eight thousand miles plus. It's probably a hundred and hundred or one hundred and ten thousand per person when you factor in the positioning flights. That's still really good redemption across the board. Sort of doesn't really matter which points you're using. That's really good. Hotels were kind of crazy. The Hyatt Regency I liked. We pay, it was like thirty-eight hundred dollars was the cash price for four. I think we were there four nights. Seven hundred fifty bucks for the Andas. About eighteen hundred bucks for the Marriott in Brussels. So uh, we really kind of came out well on the the hotel side. Again, that Hyatt Regency was 17,000 points per night or just under $1,000 per night. So that's that was insane. 
That's, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So what do you know roughly like what is that total across uh, like the whole trip? It's again the the pricing on it skewed, but it's probably somewhere around sixteen, seventeen thousand dollars based on like what Google Flights was saying for this prices. I think it's probably more like ten to twelve would be like a number I would actually kind of peg it at. But still, yeah, really good use of uh points to to not have to I'm not I don't want to say save a lot of money because I wasn't gonna spend the money on it, uh, but be able to get the value out of and, and be able to use it instead of having to pay for it. Nice. Any any general tips to share for folks who are looking to travel to the same destinations? Things you wish you knew before you went? We actually had a hard time getting tickets to some of the museums in Amsterdam. I forget what the uh, like national holiday was called, but we hit it right when that was happening. And they've uh, they've scaled back their admittance to some of the like the Van Gogh Museum, the Rijks Museum, and a couple other ones from COVID, and they haven't re- um, put the capacity back up. And so they, but the, some of the tickets like just weren't available at all during our time and our our stay. So that was a big uh, disappointment. I mean, we've been to museums like all over the place and just never had to buy them in advance. Um, sometimes you might have to come back the next day, but like to miss for you know five days or whatever. So that was kind of disappointing. So I'd say if you're headed there in the not too distant future, buy your tickets online ahead of time. Yeah, I'll, I'll quickly throw in a plus one for the Van Gogh Museum. That's probably the best art museum I've ever been to for one simple reason: they organize all of Van Gogh's work chronologically. So you actually see like, these are the initial paintings, like pretty good painter, not bad. And then it's like, oh, by the way, in the ne- between here and the next room, he went to France for two years and studied under these people. And then it's like, boom, like you just see this explosion of new talent. And then you see when he gets depressed and like things get real dark and it's like incredible. So try to get tickets if you can, I guess. Just had to rub Thank it you, in Matt. for Matt. <laughs> yeah, we'll just do a whole episode where I talk to Matt about how cool it would have been. <laughs> That'd be fun. <laughs> Travis, how about you? Total cost. General thoughts on where you went. Any final thoughts on your trip? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, obviously the diving wasn't with points. Um, my flights probably would have been about seven thousand dollars. Um, twenty five hundred for the Air France flight, forty five hundred for the British Airways flight. So, all in all, about seven thousand. You know, taxes and fees. I paid about eight hundred to fly business in first class. So that's a save. That's a value of my points. Taking a cue from Matt here which I like, of about $6,200, so pretty good. I think my highlight, I mean, other than diving World War I ships, which not everyone is necessarily qualified to do, but I really, really enjoyed Scotland as a whole, but Edinburgh is probably one of the favorite cities I've been to. But Orkney was, like, really incredible. Like, I was not expecting it to be... Like I, I was there for the diving, but our, our boat came in to dock every night so we could go into the local towns. And there was actually, um, Orkney has like a long history with folk music and there was a folk music festival going on while we were there. So we're in this small town that like 2000 people live in full time and we're going in and the few pubs are just packed with people, but they're all playing like live music, like just ad hoc, like they're not scheduled to be there. It's just these musicians who are here for this festival who like just bust out into like a a circle, like playing, playing their instruments was just really incredible. I would love to go back even not to dive just to spend some more time in, in Orkney and maybe take the world's shortest commercial flight. Yes. Awesome. Emily, how about you? So I think between the hotel that I stayed at, the only one that I used points for really, uh, was around $1,800 for all five nights. And then like Matt was saying, like, I think because I had a multi-city flight, Google flights is kind of overestimating probably the price of them. But between the two flights, it was like 
close to $10,000. I'm not sure that that's really accurate, but I'll take the, the value of a total of 12,000 for that trip. Sure. Why not? <laughs> I mean, realistically, I think probably shave like 3k off of that, but I if Google wants to tell me that it was more expensive and I got to do it for mostly free, I'm fine with that. <laughs> Any thoughts on the destination, things that you wish you would have done differently? I mean, I I didn't love having to move hotels like three times. <laughs> But I mean, it was still awesome. I, I wasn't, I wouldn't really like harp on that too much, but I think that's kind of a sacrifice you sometimes have to make when you travel on points. It's not always like the most convenient thing possible, but it didn't really interrupt with our trip too much. And we still got to do a lot of exploring and walking. Make sure you bring good walking shoes for Lisbon. That's what I would recommend. It's very hilly and we easily were walking like over 20,000 steps a day. So that would be my takeaway. Nice. And yeah, and for for me, the total of like all the flights by my math was somewhere around like 31,000 bucks. Like all of you said, the math gets a little bit gray with like, well, you know, you wouldn't have booked a one-way trip like this and all that. So, but that's what it would cost to recreate the exact same thing. And of course, keep in mind four travelers plus an infant. So that kind of adds up the cost real quick. And then just thoughts on on Italy, like you have to go, please go to rural Italy at some point. You know, everyone goes and on your first trip, you do like Rome and Florence and the Amalfi Coast and, you know, Positano and kind of those big ones and, and definitely do that first. But, you know, just, I, I can't say enough about how amazing it is to get out of this urban centers in Italy, just kind of get into like the smaller towns, fewer tourists around, everything is really cheap. Food is incredible. Uh, just fantastic. In, in particular, the town of Otranto and then South was just incredible. So big fan. So that's that. We're going to wrap it up. I think this is really the first time we're all talking together about these trips. And not only was it great to hear from you, all of you on how it went, but also break it down so that hopefully others can kind of follow our same blueprint to make these trips happen. It's really interesting to hear how people end up choosing and planning specific trip, especially when points and miles are in play, because oftentimes the style of planning shifts from, I want to go here and how much does it cost to like, I have X amount of points and miles and where can I go with that? Sounds really interesting. And then when you layer on the flexibility of being willing to reposition, either on the departure or arrival, as most of us did, it really opens up your options. So you heard us talk about some sacrifices we made when booking our trips. You know, we don't want to make it sound like points and miles. It makes everything perfect. But when you can get thousands of dollars of value out of them and some nearly free travel, it certainly makes the small sacrifices barely even noticeable, especially when you're booking like prime summer travel to Europe, right? Hard thing to do. We hope these trip recaps have given you some inspiration for your next European journey with points and miles. We're here to remind you that just by listening to the previous episodes of our podcast, you will have the knowledge to start to figure out this for yourself, start to put together trips just like we talked about for you and your family. If you still need more support, you can reference our free course, which includes all the content we talked through today and more. You can also check out our Facebook group, 10X Travel Insiders, which has just recently crossed 250,000 members, just like you who can help you brainstorm that next redemption you're hoping to make. Our website, 10xtravel.com, is always a great resource where we're constantly publishing new points and miles content. And lastly, if you're completely stuck and can't figure out your next move, we have an award booking service staffed with points and miles experts ready to help you find the best redemption available. On behalf of the entire 10X Travel team, thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time.